If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free and everyone loves free. Second, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which makes it very convenient. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Finally, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So take a moment to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, I'm back with a brand new episode of Beyond the Bookshelf. Today, I sit with Dr. Harrison Jones IV, and he is the author of I Used to Hate School. This is a very special episode for me because Harris and I actually went to college together, so I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Harrison, so thank you so much for joining Beyond the Bookshelf. I know this is a long time coming, so for those of you that don't know, I was supposed to interview Harrison sometime last year, but then I wrote a book, and I stepped away from a lot of my personal projects and professional projects to write the book, finish the book, and get pre-order sales um, out to people that have pre-ordered the book. So I spent about a year, which is way longer than what I expected to, doing that. So after I went through the process of the book and I recorded an episode telling you about the book, Her Imprint, then I decided to call Harrison back or follow up with Harrison to see if he was still available. I know it's been a year later, but thankfully Harrison told me he was available. So now he's here with me today. So for those of you that don't know, Harrison is the author of I Used to Hate School. And actually, I should call him Dr. Harrison because he is a doctor. And a little bit of background information, Harrison and I actually went to UT together. So before I go any further, Harrison, welcome to the show. And thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I very much appreciate it. It's good to, good to see you. I'm good to see you from UT. I was saying that time is just a social construct, you know? Yeah. So I know when we say something's going to happen, it's going to happen in either way, you know? So I just set my intentions and I'm glad we've got to make, make this happen. So I'm happy about that. Me too. Me too. So I spent a little bit of time reading your book um, throughout the week. And one thing that I was really interested to know is what made you decide to write this particular book at the time that you wrote it? So what's the backstory behind the book? Well, I'll, one of the things um, that I've noticed as an administrator and being just ingrained in education for 13 years, there was so many times from you know, starting out to the end where I was like, well, this is, is this the career for me? Is this what I need to be doing? And uh, the thing that reminded me and got me back to where I was every single time was the fact that the love for the kids. And so when I wrote this book, I think about every, all those moments and all those times when I had, when I was at work, when I was like, oh, I hate grading, or I hate this one, or I hate doing this, or this is, this is, you know, all the bad issues that people were having that would make someone want to get out and the things that allowed me to be successful in, in, the, in the field. And I just felt like I wanted to talk to myself, you know, back in those moments when I was just having those struggles, like who would tell me, mm -hmm. what would I say to myself to keep me going? What would I say 
is the best way to, deal, to fix that problem. So these principles that, you know, we outline in this book are just, you know, things that I did, you know, as far as uh, I learned from my professors, learned, learned, to learn from my other professionals, learned from other teachers, learned from my students, mm-hmm. really a lot of my, lot, lot from the students about how to, you know, how, how to get people to love learning. And that was the whole ultimate thing is that if we, you know, when we have school and, and we have uh, what we call school, we have to get back to what it's all about. It's about getting everyone to love learning. If there's not a love for learning in that school, that is, is going to be a struggle for everyone. Yeah, I agree with that. So for those of you that don't know, I used to teach high school, so I can completely identify with what you're saying. I had a really, uh, I built a really great relationship with the kids that I taught. And I noticed that was one of the things that you talked a little bit about in your book. And I really believe that the relationships matter. And then the kids taught me a lot about learning as well. So I used to teach um, animation. And when I was hired on as a teacher, I actually didn't know anything about animation. I actually did not know how to animate anything. So one of my students or a couple of my students actually taught me how to animate the stuff in the best way possible, quickest way possible, easiest way possible. But then sometimes it was fun too. So I learned a lot from them. And I think my first year, I probably learned more from them than they learned from me. But um, I can completely understand and identify what you're saying and what we call school because school is a little bit different now. So can you talk to me a little bit about where you are now? Because I know in your book, um, you were, you know, you talked about your experience and you talked about the different roles and things that you had done in, at that particular time. But where are you now? Well, you know, what's funny is, you know, when you, like I was talking about earlier, when you set your intentions to uh, just to help people. And, you know, one of the things I did, you know, one of the reasons I wrote this book was to help teachers and to grow teachers and to move, you know, build teachers and, and bring more people, help retention and retain teachers in that sense. And so that pathway actually brought me to where I am now as a, I'm working as an assistant principal, I mean, assistant professor, excuse me at the uh, Grambling State University, um, teaching teachers, future teachers. And actually we have an initiative called the Black Male Initiative, which was really made me get into the, go towards that university because we're trying to get more Black male teachers into the field. So almost like the book kind of opened up that door. No, I'm not gonna say that. The book opened up that door for giving me the opportunity to help and grow teachers in this capacity. So definitely. Uh, looking forward to what the future holds in that in that nature, but working at GSE right now. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty and, cool. And I think that's awesome. And as and as you just said, the book opened up that door. So actually, and I know this is a little bit of a segue, but since you said it, I want to kind of um, ask you about it. So, as an author, when you wrote this book, did you have the intention of you know writing the book to help teachers and give them the strategies and, and that kind of stuff. But did you also look at it from, if I'm an author, I can use my book as a marketing tool to kind of get me to another place or did you really just do it or really not really think about the marketing aspect of it and just kind of was like, well, hey, I really wanna put this out here to help teachers understand and, and these are all the things that I wish somebody would have told me. So how how did you view it? Well, definitely within my my plan, my four-year, five-year plan is to open a school. And so okay. the way that I centered around that is you have to have that attention. You have to garnish that, that 
that presence, that platform for people to want to be able to follow you and understand where you're coming from. If you had an expert in the field, nobody's going to want to, you know, invest or, or be a, take part in that time. So, you know, just gaining that expertise and, and, and it's actually opened doors to where now I'm having conversations on a regular basis with individuals about opening schools. And, and it's, it's a dramatic, it, it, with the intentions are set, it's almost like things just kind of flow to where you can't help but accomplish what you said you're going to do and so a big part of it was opening the school so i do require a platform like you know to where i can get my voice out and the voice to be heard so people can understand what kind of school it's going to be and how we're going to help students and just change the way we do it because school is going to be different next year i mean i know how things are going with the pandemic and everything's everything's changing so we just have to be ready for all those changes and i'm ready to make that school that's going to definitely be ready to make those changes happen cool so if you can how what where where are you in the process of your own school like are you when do you think it'll be done can you share that or no uh right now i'm getting a team well i'm really kind of at the point where it's just putting down the paperwork to work for the charters okay but, uh, that's uh, that comes around every year and so the timeline is once a year so it's uh they do the uh, reviews around october i know without like when covid came around so it's kind of like they have the targets for this year too but mm -hmm. you actually plan to apply for the charter the year before gotcha. and so not determined where you know, if it's a charter or private, but right now I'm definitely leaning towards a charter. Cool. So I want to talk a little bit about the book and the five principles that you have listed in the book. Can we go over those? Um, and then yes. I also wanted to ask you, and this is a double question. I also want to ask you why you chose those five principles. So we can, can we okay. talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that works for me. Uh, so five, okay, so the five principles are rigor, relationships, RTI, leadership, and I always forget the other one, results, okay? So the first one was rigor, and rigor is just basically making sure everyone gets up to that level of excellence. A lot of people use rigor as a, as a in education, as a, as a word of, a scary word, like, oh man, this is gonna be hard. No, it's just making sure that everyone reaches their potential and that you're reaching all of your students. So making sure that you're never giving up on your students is the key to extending rigor. So by showing love, you're going to have to continuously show love, even when there's potential failure, you're gonna to have to teach resilience to your students. And that's what rigor is, um, data-driven. So you have to be data-driven. So that's where results come in. Um, being data-driven with finding out what your students' needs are, making sure you uh, are assessing your needs as well. What do you need to grow as a teacher? What areas are you weak in? And so definitely being able to be data-driven is key. And so that's the uh, results piece. Uh, leadership means taking on that step to where you're not just a part of being in the classroom, but you're gonna be a leader outside of the school and inside the school. Like you're gonna be taking on leadership positions every chance everywhere you get so that's um talking about being that mvp teacher that everyone likes uh, the blue brian james of the, of the school building and i think the other one i said was rti that's making sure that if students don't get it 
behaviorally, if they're acting up and they're having problems with, you know, you make sure that you go through the proper channels and you talk to their parents and you do the right thing as far as setting positive behavior supports in your classroom so your students know that you're there to help them grow. You know, we've always talked about exclusionary discipline, how it restricts students and kicking them out and suspending them and they're more likely to drop out. We know about the school to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. You know, that was one of my main, main issues with the school to prison pipeline. That was what my studies were in the, um, my doctoral studies were. And so um, addressing that in the classroom is first and foremost. So making sure that you have those interventions in place that are keeping your kids in the classroom and keeping your kids on target. And I think that's the RTI, bigger relationships, uh, leadership, bigger relationships, bigger relationships, RTI, leadership. It was a fifth one. I think it was love one, or was it just is love a general relationship? Relationship results results is data driven. Okay, that's fine. The, all that stuff encompassed because I know the title is I used to hate school because it's a past tense. So all that encompasses all around is to get students to, to learn to love school. Okay. So you can love someone at school, love something at school, love someone about something about school. There are things that we can do that, as teachers that can get our kids to love learning and that they can, you know, transfer that energy to everyone that they come around. And so I think uh, I used to hate school as a movement. It's just saying, you know, we know it's bad. I mean, looking at it right now, I think everybody hates school. I mean, I can't talk to a teacher right now that's telling me, oh, I love virtual learning. They're all mm -hmm. saying, I hate, I, hate, I hate virtual learning. I hate, I can't talk to my kids. And they're going through all, they're going through that hate phase. Mm -hmm. So now they can find, what, 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 what can we learn from this? How can we grow from this situation? Because this is not going to go away. You know, the, the virtual learning and, and doing, you know, Zooms and all that stuff. It's a brand new world. And so we have to figure out how we're going to best service our students in this new world you know they are they're on their energy is a lot more vibrant and it's a lot more communicating and it's a lot more global and so we have to be able to reach that as educators we have to reach that on a regular basis it can't just be oh we're going to have a global a global citizenship week this week no it has to be like the whole year everything has to be centered around these students and that's what's interesting is you know at this point, you have our president, Dr. Donald Trump, and he was uh, talking yesterday about making, taking away diversity uh, training in schools. And he was talking about getting rid of uh, academic, um, making, you know, the academic areas that, you know, bring diversity to students because they want American, they want pro-American, pro-American, anti-American curriculum is going away. We want pro-American. What's interesting is that you'll be hard pressed to find a kid because even when I went to uh, had the opportunity to work in Kuwait as a principal, those kids were just as American as the kids that were at Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. I mean, they acted, the, I mean, their behaviors were just the same. I mean, you couldn't even tell the difference. If I was told you I was in the northwest side of Houston and it was the same students, it was interesting. And I was in the Middle East. And so, 
we can't say, oh, this is America and this is not. I mean, that culture has, has spread around the world. And yeah. So we can't just say, this is how American people act. This is how Indian people act. This is how Kuwait, because I guarantee you, I turn on a Jay-Z song in Kuwait, everybody was going to be having a great time. It wasn't, yeah. uh, it wasn't just a, you know, oh, this is Jay-Z, he's American, you don't listen to him. No, they loved him more than they liked they liked anybody else. That's all they were playing. You know this, you know that. So American culture is everywhere. Yeah. So one thing he talks about a little bit was the virtual learning. So based off of your professional opinion and what you've seen and what you've heard, how do you think school, do you think school will completely change? Like, do you think it'll ever go back to the way that it was? Or do you think you know, we're really just going to have to embrace this new normal way of limit, way of uh, living for the foreseeable future. As a educator, I would be ashamed to go back to the way that we were. I would yeah. be just like, oh my goodness, if they told me I had to put a desk in the classroom, like if the, we had to clear out the school building, like the best time now, if I was a principal right now, and I'm not saying I was whatever. I'll clear out the school building, say, okay, we're going to redesign this school building all the way up so it's going to fit the way 21st century learning. We're going to change the way we do the desk. We're getting rid of all these desks. This is the perfect time to revamp these schools instead of having them open and forcing these kids into bad situations. But I think that one thing is people need to get reduced to having a virtual uh, learning component in, in every class. I think the fact that you're going to have access to your teachers more, I think that is what is troubling a lot of teachers is now you're on Zoom and you're seeing your students all day. Mm -hmm. You know, I taught a high school class. I'd see my kids for what, 30, 45 minutes mm -hmm. a day and they go and I wouldn't see them again for another two days, you know, for a day or so. So that's it's a different it's a different look for everyone so they're getting used to having so much more access so it's going to have to be more more digital but you know at the end of the day i think as an educator we need to figure out what our place is in that in that space like yeah. we need to figure out how we're going to teach in that space because in essence the information is there we have to figure out how we're what what are we what are we what is our goal our mission as educators when we're dealing with our students. Why, how do we want them to learn? What do we want them to learn now? Because they're gonna see everything before we even, they're gonna see the earth, the flat earth videos the same day that they see the uh, earth is round video. Right. So what, are, what as a teacher, what are you gonna do to tell them, to show them that this is the wrong video? That's not, you know, that's not true. The earth is not flat. But guess what? This is the right. This is the right you do. This is the right one because guess what? It's backed by all this research, such and such, and NASA and all that stuff. And so that's what teach that to decide. You know, are you going to be there? Because that information is thrown at a at a young age. Yeah. At a very young age, and yeah, I was with my niece last night, and uh, she picked up the Trump. I, you know, I had my Trump, and she just picked up the Trump and started playing it. Really? And I'm like, yeah. And I was just like, you know, you can't do that for a lot of people. I'm like, she understood the breathing and the air and the vibration and all that stuff. And so she understood music and she was looking at music uh -huh. and seeing it and then was Googling it. And she's 
I think second grade, Googling different songs to sing and do all that stuff. She's like, I got this. I got this. Now me, I'm here thinking, oh, you have to go through these certain steps. I'm like, oh, she doesn't got it yet. You don't got mm-hmm. it yet. But as a teacher, we should be looking at that like, okay, she is getting it. Like yeah. she's getting it to where she's at. You know what I'm saying? If she's satisfied with that moment, we can't say, oh, no, you don't know how to make a note. Because I was like, okay, now I'm going to teach you how to play a note now. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but that's me being selfish as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I should have let her go ahead and, you know, explore it because she was exploring the notes, exploring and figure it out on her own. If you want that, if you want that as much as you want it, then she'll figure out how to play it. You know, and this should come to me for guidance. Right. And I think that's what we have to start thinking as teachers is yeah. they got, we have to start saying like, this is where they want to go. Then they'll come to us with some sort of guidance. Yeah, and I agree with that because as a, a teacher and I've taught um, high school, I've also taught little people too. So I've taught high school, I've taught elementary school, and there is a, a difference, but I will say, you know, with um, the elementary kids, like second grade, third grade, fourth grade, um, sometimes you'll be amazed at where they already are, like naturally. And then some of it, some of them do need all the steps because that's how they think they're going to solve a problem. Like if it's a math problem or something like that. And then some of them have creative ways of just figuring stuff out. And I've seen that, you know, I've, I've seen that, I've experienced that as well in the classroom. And I think that so much of teaching, at least from my perspective, was, you know, you make these lesson plans in your mind, you think you know how you're going to teach these kids because you don't think they're fully aware or they are, aren't at the level that you're trying to get them to, but then some of them will surprise you and some of them will actually show you a better way, honestly, of how, of how to teach this based off of where they are, what they're interested in and how quickly or how naturally it comes to them. Cause when you told me that she picked up that trumpet and I was not expecting that story to go that way. I was expecting her to probably have some problems, to need some guidance or need a lot of help. And, you know, when you told that story and she didn't, I was like, wow, she's really on it. And I think that sometimes, you know, from a teaching experience, sometimes you're just amazed and surprised by where kids are and how really adaptable they are to different situations and different ways of learning if you allow them the opportunity to do so. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's, that was one thing that was important is you have to see all of your students as a genius. And there is genius in every student. And you have to see that as a teacher because you're never going to be able to get them to recognize their genius if you don't already see it within them. You have to recognize it and see it, and then they'll bring it out, see their gifts, give them opportunities to express their talents. Because we give them that rigid, we do give them a rigid, like right now everybody's giving them a rigid timeline. You have to do this this way, this way, this way. And you never know. You know, we're watching, I think we're watching videos now. I've seen, the, uh, the, I've seen somebody do the whole periodic table. Uh, periodic table with the rap I mean with the whole really? rap song like the, the trap song and stuff like that like and, and you know just stuff like that you know not saying every student should be doing trap music for you know <laughs> projects but something to where you just say hey we need to learn this by this week alright everybody 
Everybody has this. We got, it's, it's not a concept, but just saying we need to learn this by the end of the week. Everybody's going to work on it together and figure it out. We're going to see if we all figure it out by the end of the week. Got it, boom, boom, or something like that. The way there's a, a, a way that everybody can have a free flow because we can keep students in in our way we've been doing it, but we, we, we seem to have been missing the boat with a lot of them. Right. Because we don't give them that that freedom to act and, and freedom to, to explore. And and it, and it hurts a lot of them because they end up being out of school. And so yeah. I think we have to find ways to kind of balance that in the classroom, you know, give those that need that freedom to, to be able to explore and do those things and, and kind of meet them at the very beginning. Yeah. I think don't, don't wait on it. Just meet them at the very beginning. Yeah. And I think what you just said um, is very important. You said, and let me know if I got this wrong. You said you have to see all your students as a genius. See, when I started teaching a few years back, I always came at it from the opposite side, not seeing them as a genius, but actually kind of trying to teach them to become, you know, what they needed to be, wanted to be. And then when you said that, I thought that was really good because if you start from that mindset, like if you start there in your mind, and then if you start there with them and you have them believe that as well, then I think that some of them will surprise you and, and really surprise or amaze themselves at how capable they are um, at learning, learning differently, learning creatively, and really how far they can go. Because one of the things that I notice is, especially when I taught little kids, is, um, and I, I notice this when I taught bigger kids or older kids as well, creative people in general learn different. They experience things different. They have a different way of learning. They have a different way of being, and they get bored really easy. So sometimes, you know, when I've been in a classroom with my uh, second graders, I've seen people that already knew the information and was completely bored. Or when I taught fourth grade, same thing. And they would be sitting there wondering, not wondering what to do, but they already knew what to do. They knew how to do it. Some of it was a little bit creative and different, but it worked. And then others, you know, struggled, but everybody, you know, wasn't at the same uh, space and space and place. So I had to figure out, okay, how do I keep the creative people that learn in this different way? You know, how do I keep them engaged? But then how do I keep the people that aren't where they are? How do I keep them from getting frustrated on, you know, not understanding, not knowing how to work something, not knowing how to figure something out, not knowing how to say a word or read a word or what have you. And it's just, it's a series of different sets of skills, I think. And I think that it's really important. And I've always advocated for creative children because I am a creative person. And I think it's very important that you understand, you know, creative people handle things differently. They get bored easy. And sometimes like they need music to work with. They need right. to be watching something as they're working. I am like that. They have to be doing or having something else in the background going and that helps stimulate them. And I think that, you know, sometimes in the school setting that we were in, that wasn't always um, a part that they wanted to look at because it didn't fit the structure. And I think that one thing I will say about this pandemic is that 
it put the it put part of the structure aside because everything is kind of unstructured unstructured and you're trying to figure it out as you go and then you know as you figure out you're going to learn some new things you're going to figure out what works what doesn't work and then you're just going to be like okay well now that these now that these kids are virtual and you said this now that these kids are virtual we're kind of forced to use the technology that as educators we probably should have been using a long time ago and we're probably forced to really be creative in some of our lesson plans or some of our teaching and which should have done that a long time ago so i think as crazy as this pandemic has been i think it's also been a little bit beneficial from it from an education perspective because it kind of forced us into this world that we should that we should have already been in and i think that some of these kids will really benefit from it just because it's not as antiquated as it used to be and it really it can't be as antiquated as it used to be because the world moves much much faster information flows much faster things change so fast and as soon as you mm -hmm. learn one thing you know it may change so from an education perspective i think that the pandemic as awful and as horrible as it as it's been and i don't want to negate that I think it's kind of forced educators to kind of rethink school and think about school differently. So, yeah. So I think that what your book, you know, I used to hate school and I, you know, I did want to ask you about that. Cause I, cause for those of you that, that haven't read the book, when you see the cover, you're going to see the words used to are at the top and there's an arrow pointing um so if you just read it on its own without without the visual it would say i hate school and then you know if you look at it the way that it's constructed you'll see that um the used to it goes in between i hate and in between the i hate so it reads i used to hate school and i said all that and i know it probably sounds weird but i said all that to say this why did you title it you used to hate school. And the reason why I'm asking this is because when I read it, you know, you're a pretty good student. You're a great student. And great students usually don't hate school unless they were bored. So right, I really right. wanted to see why you titled it, I used to hate school instead of I love school, or maybe, you know, maybe that wasn't as marketable. I'm not sure, but I did want to ask. Well, you know, I think timing is kind of the more important thing. It's more of like the situations, um, like you just said. So uh, we were just talking about, I had a teacher, uh, I talk about in my book, Coach, Bauer, Coach Bowers, and I had all of my teachers that had to, to get Google Classroom, and mm -hmm. I made them all get a, a smart, all of them had to know how to use a smart board. And this is what I did when I went to uh, West Oso in Corpus Christi. Now, before that, they didn't have any smart board. They had some smart, they had like one smart board in the whole school, and none mm -hmm. of the teachers had a Google Classroom. Mm -hmm. And before that, you know, coach was, he was thinking, he was doing terrible. He was having a hard time, and, you know, the kids were acting up in his classroom. Um, he didn't, uh, he didn't really just have, you know, I was having to come to his classroom all the time as a principal just to kind of get things in order and stuff. So we made some suggestions. I got him a smart board in there. We had a Google Classroom. We moved his chairs around to where it's like his, his, uh, his, his uh, it kind of looked like he had a 
couch in there. He had a nice little circle table in the middle. Had a little, still had a little lab equipment on the side. And you know, he had some, some, uh, got some lights. Some, cause you know, I told him, I said, make the classroom look like how you want it to be. Like, what do you want your kids to feel when they come in there? Mm-hmm. He had lamps in there, you know, like a Zen kind of like moment. And his whole, his whole, I mean, you would think like just from just him doing the Google Classroom at the end of the year, he was doing Google Classroom training for all the teachers. He was like, all the brothers like, man, he's awesome. Like all the kids are loving him. He's getting this test graded quickly, like, cause they're doing stuff on Google Forms. Mm-hmm. He's doing all these things. And I think one of the biggest things that people should see that, you know, when they're having to do virtual learning and they're having to hate it is how much easier it's gonna be when they go back to the classroom and have to go back to the classroom and they had that virtual learning component because they're going to be able to have discussion boards and chat rooms and, 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 and their tests are going to be graded automatically and you know quizzes are going to be they're going to be like wow I have a lot more time yeah. as a teacher you know they're going to see themselves so coming from that I hate it and I hate that school because there were lots of situations I said where I was I hate school I hate I, I was going to go I think my first year I said, now I was about to go back to law school. That was my whole goal. Right. And so when I got, you know, got to the point, leaving as an assistant principal, uh, I'm uh, issuing discipline to a child. And, you know, I'm not sure if it's fair, you know, or not, mm-hmm. but I have to do it. You know what I mean? Like you have to do it because of the policies that are mm-hmm. put in place. I had to ask myself, am I the, Am I the am I am I the one in the wrong or what side am I on in this? So mm-hmm. it got to me a point where I was like, man, I hate school. Like mm-hmm. this is not what I want to be. What am I going to do now? You know, and this would happen. Kenesha, this would happen every two three years. It didn't happen. Like yeah, it didn't just happen the first year or week. It happened over and over and over and over again. It still happens. I mean, sometimes yeah. I'm like. You know, man, I, you know, I just educate, like, even now, I'm just like, everybody's like, things are like, why would I even be an educator if they're saying that we don't even want to work for it? Like, if you hear some of the things they say about teachers now, about us not wanting to go back to school, like go back to a a brick and mortar building, Mm -hmm. it's like, man, why would I even want to deal with your kids, you know, but sometimes you got to say to yourself, I have a big thing in there about parents, they get, they get you too, so. Uh, you just have to know that those issues are going to happen, but you can still be successful if you remember all these things that come to um, to the very end is that you love school, that you love kids, that you, if you didn't love kids, you wouldn't want to be a teacher. And if you say, oh, I don't like kids, well, what are you going to do? If you like chicken, you're going to go work at KFC. Like, where else are you going to go? Like, it seems kind of simple. If you like kids, you're going to go be work at a school. If you don't like them, you're going to work somewhere else. I yeah. think to be successful is to remind yourself that you love kids. Every single thing that you do and that you're doing, what you're doing is because of that love. So if you're applying that rigor, those relationships, that RTI, that um, the leadership, all those things is because like, you know, I don't like going to meetings after school, mm-hmm. but I figure, hey, I have to go to this meeting because guess who is going to benefit from this meeting? The kids. Yeah. I need to make sure that the kids, been. I have to be there. So I'm going to go to their club meeting. I'm going to show up to their football game. I'm going to show up at the volleyball game. At the, I'm, I'm not big on, you know, I'm not a volleyball fan. I'm not mm-hmm. the biggest volleyball fan, but I'll go to a volleyball game just because 
that's who I love. It's the kids. And that's going to make you build relationships and help you be successful. So I don't want people to know that I hate school, but if there's a way that you stay, that you can get that back every single time. Yeah. Find that, that love. Yeah. And I, I agree with that because in the times when I've been frustrated, I've, I always go back to, well, I'm doing this for these kids. These kids need me. I show up for them. I work hard for them and I want them to get to where they want to go and where I believe they can go. So I completely, I get it. And before we wrap, Harrison, I want to ask you a couple of quick things. Um, um, is there anything or anywhere or, or how can we support you? Is there anything that we can do? Is there any, any place that you want to direct us to so we can support you in the things that you have going on? Well, I think as many copies of the book as very possible. Yeah. <laughs> we can get those uh, different. Um, right now, I'm trying to get it more intimate, uh, get it more national, get the, get the, get it out to a bunch of different schools, uh-huh. and different. A couple of schools have done professional developments on it. That's awesome. Um, you know, with the pandemic, we haven't had too many times where I can go just speak to places, mm-hmm. but I've had some opportunities to where. Um, I can do webinars. Mm-hmm. And so I think just the idea of getting the word out uh, about the book and really about just the changes that we need to be made. I think that's the key part. In the book, there are some of the things that are the changes that need to be made to uh, education. And so uh, there's another one coming out soon. Okay. And so it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be more around the leadership side, but it's definitely, um, I definitely think that getting the book out to as many people as possible um, is absolute. Uh, I used to hate school.com and it's also available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, uh, Target, part of those things. Okay. And where can people follow you? What is your social media sites? They can follow me on uh, Instagram, uh, uh, Dr. Harrison Jones IV. Uh, I'll follow back. Uh, especially if it's professional. Then there's a LinkedIn, uh, Dr. Harrison Jones. You can get me on there. Uh, on Facebook, I have two Facebooks. I have a business page, Dr. Harrison Jones, um, the fourth. Uh, and if you add me on TikTok, you can find me on TikTok as well. Uh, I try to do daily motivational things on TikTok as well. Okay. So that, that's what the four, not an IV. All the rest of the fours are IV. Okay. The TikTok one is with an actual four. Four, okay, cool. Well, Harrison, it's been great talking to you and it's been great to see you. For those of you that are listening to this, um, we're on a Zoom call. So I can see him and he can see me. But it's been so great to have you and I'm so happy that you were still open and available to come on this show. And I love your book. I think it's a great read. And uh, I'm so happy that we were able to do this. I appreciate that. Happy to see you too. Good to see you. Good. So I'll talk to you later. And for those of you that are still listening, I will be back hopefully within the next week or two with a new episode. Bye. Bye.